Welcome to the Momentum Matters podcast, where we have courageous conversations with women leaders. You'll hear about their accomplishments, their experiences, their challenges, and best advice. If you're inspired by women who have overcome the barriers and gone on to do extraordinary things, you're in the right place. My name is Karen Taradis, and I'm the CEO of Social U, a digital marketing firm offering social media management, training, and consulting. Today on Momentum Matters, we have the pleasure of hearing from Myla Calhoun, the VP of Alabama Power Birmingham Division. We'll be hearing her insight on the current social climate and what role community plays. Now here's our host, April Benatello, CEO at Momentum Leaders, a Birmingham-based nonprofit on a mission to advance women in leadership. Well, Myla, thank you so much for coming in this morning and participating in the Momentum Matters podcast. We are super excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. We're going to talk today about the impact of race and gender on social equity in the community. Um, But before we get to that, what I would love to do for our audience is to have them hear a little bit about how you grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. How, how was Little Myla? Little Myla. So I grew up in Tuskegee, uh, which is a small town uh, south of here, um, but a college town. So um, though it was small, there was a lot of interesting lectures and um, exchanges and people coming in and out of the town all the time. And because it was a small town and there were no uh, other um, uh, entertainment options, you know, if a, if, a, if a cool lecturer came to town, I mean, the whole town turned out for it. Yeah. And because there were no real venues or halls to entertain people, people entertained in their homes. Um, and one of my most favorite memories of that was Maya Angelou came to town and... Um, after her lecture, she came to my parents' home. There was just like a party in the basement. Think of it like a blue light party in the basement where there was singing and dancing. And she read some of her works. It was just, it was a really rich kind of environment uh, to grow up in. How old were you at that time? Uh, I was maybe 15, wow. 16. But that was just not the. It was not uncommon. I mean, you know, uh, to to have that kind of thing. But what it what it also did was it was a very protected environment, and so the elements of racism were certainly there in in the world, but in Tuskegee, uh, they they didn't present in the same way. It was a it was a principally black town with lots of. Um, activities that were intellectually stimulated, all of them happening in the black community. Uh, and um, it, it sort of, it, it shaped how I thought about things, which was very different, I think, than the experience might have been growing up in Birmingham or Montgomery or, uh, or some other place. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a really kind of idyllic, in a way, uh, town. I was born on the campus, as was my mother, as was her mother. Wow. So I'm, I'm sort of steeped in Tuskegee legacy. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Maya Angelou yeah, in was, the basement. It was, and it was like, well, that's just what happens. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's just what, what happens. So at what point in your life did you uh, discover that it wasn't 
like that everywhere? Um, I, I think when the next year I went to boarding school in Atlanta, okay. um, uh, and. You know, I should I should say that uh, my my siblings. I'm I'm one of five. I'm number four in the rotation. My older siblings um, also went away to to boarding school, but they all went in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And it didn't occur to me until I went to boarding school in Atlanta that they couldn't have done that in the South. You know, the realities wow. of what people could do. Um, in the South were different, and I didn't, I didn't know that. When I went away to boarding school, it became clear to me as, as one of, I think, three uh, black students certainly living on the campus in the dormitory, that it was different. Um, and it was different just in terms of how um, some, not all certainly, but some of the, uh, uh, not, not so much students, but some of the dorm mothers or, or staff members considered uh, my presence there. Um, and it was hurtful. Um, it, was, it was hurtful. Uh, so what, what exactly do you mean by considered your um, presence? I, you know, it was, it was sort of deemed that I was there as, as some, or I, I felt this way, an experiment, and not one that was was uh, reflective of either my um, drive or my academic ability, um, and and that was hurtful. Yeah. Um, uh, looking back on it, I realize it was also highly insulting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I have come to understand that they were operating out of a place of their own lived experience which was um, harmful to them, too, because it limited their ability to see the richness of what a diverse community might have looked like sure. if they had been able to fully embrace it. And that was just, over, you know, that was, that was the 70s, you know, that was the 70s. Yeah, we, we grew up at the same time. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, how were the other students? It was, you know, it was, it was, it was fine. Uh, and again, I, you know, it was, um, you know, it was, it, kids are kids, I find. At least that was my experience among the students who I was friends with. Now, I, I can't speak for, for, for all the students who were there. But, but I had a very good relationship uh, with, with my classmates and mm-hmm. my roommates, my dorm mates, that kind of thing. So, um but but it really was the first time I had been in an environment where I was not in the majority, you know. Yes. So so I hadn't really um, uh, perceived, you know, race in a in a real way. Um, I certainly knew about it in an in an intellectual way, but but as it impacted my life, that hadn't. I'd been sheltered. Yes. Um, in in some sense, yeah. And how did that impact your decision to go to Spelman College? Uh, you know, I, and this was a really interesting thing. This was a really interesting thing. When I was looking at colleges, I remember the counselors at the school um, really were not high on Spelman. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was sort of like it was, they perceived it, as well, you know, you've come through this experience. You could go to pick a college, and that was insulting. Mm-hmm. And 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 um, 
limited, you know. Uh, they didn't have, here was this great college and this, this co college collective with Morehouse and Clark and Atlanta University right there. And it had never occurred to them at that school, the counselors, the college counselors, to consider that those schools for what they produced, what the rigor of the programming would be, and what the access for students who came through their program, who would go there, uh, what, what that would mean. They considered those schools less to be less, less than. Yes, they did. And they said, you've already and, uh, right. succeeded so you've here. succeeded. I mean, but here I was. I'm a child of Tuskegee, so I have a, a huge, deep, rich understanding of what an HBCU experience is. Mm -hmm. I knew that, you know. That was my lived experience. So, um, so when I went to Spelman, and I have to say there, were, there, were, there was no greater place for me to be because it was entirely nurturing, um, challenging, but validating. Uh, that, you know, that you can stand in your own space, in your own skin. You have uh, the capacity to do and be and represent for yourself and for mm -hmm. others all that those who have come before you have put into you. And it was a place where they were focused on shining us up for, for excellence. That sounds like something Maya Angelou would yeah, say. Yeah, but that was the Spellman, you know, that was, that was why I needed to be there and why I wanted to be there. Uh, and... Um, and looking back on it, um, it was the best college decision I could have made. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. And then you went on to pursue a law degree. I did. At the University of Alabama. I did. I did. I did. A very different experience, certainly. Yes. Um, um, but, you know, it taught me a lot, too. I mean, it, it kind of... Uh, first of all, law school for me was... Um, uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't come to it with a sort of uh, a robust. I want to, you know, change the world, be a lawyer sort of uh, uh, mindset. It was a practical expression of okay, you finished Spelman with a history degree and enough credits to have what amounts to an anthropology minor, though it was undeclared. Um, you know, what are you going to do? Right, and. Uh, uh, you know, it's like, well, I'll go to law school. So, so it was not motivated by that sort of deep well of, um, I want to be a lawyer. It's that this seems like a, a, a career path that will open other doors for you if you choose them. I knew that I didn't really want to do um, uh, courtroom law. That wasn't anything I wanted to do. Um, but I was I was interested in coming back to Alabama for, again, really practical reasons, and that is that was, I, I got a scholarship. And so it meant I could go to school for, um, you know, it wasn't a very expensive experience. And, I'm, and I say that, and I'm very proud of, of, of that experience as well, but it wasn't, um, I, I didn't grow up having sort of a, the reverence for the University of Alabama that, that some people rightly do. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't, I'm, I'm from Tuskegee. So I, my loyalties from a college athletic experience are, are tied to that, um, as, right. very, as different as it is from what we have and what we know now to be the, the, the tide experience. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So 
Let's talk for a minute about your, your path to leadership. Yeah. So you graduate from law school and your first job to the point, you know, the, yeah, the path yeah, on to what yeah, you're doing today. Yeah. It, um, so I will say this. It was, a, it was a, a, not a straight line and it was a, a bit of a broken road. I um, finished law school um, and really had a hard time getting a job. Uh, and it was a time when um, um, Birmingham had not yet opened up in the way that I think uh, we think of it now. Um, and uh, I was helped by a... Um, the president of Tuskegee University sat actually on the board of AmSouth Bank. And, and you know, I think, you know, people know, people do the best they know how to do. At, 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 and the AmSouth at the time did not hire many, if any, um, people of color in what would look like a career tracking towards management roles. But the president of Tuskegee sat on the board and he advocated for, um, for me uh, to go to work there. And, and I, I, I joined the trust department, was very proud, had a wonderful first manager experience with a, a woman who was, you know, a, a, that was unusual uh, to have a woman who was leading a, a practice group in, in the trust department. Uh, and she was very generous and very, very kind uh, to me, but I will tell you of one experience that happened that um, was jarring for me there. I, I had a book of accounts that I managed in the trust department as a trust administrator and um, I had a wonderful sort of relationship with a customer, phone relationship, and I invited her to lunch and um, she came and she um, saw me and said, oh my God, you are a, and fill in the, the blank word, you know? So can you imagine, right? Yeah. And I'm... What year is this? This is, let's see, this would have been like 85, 86. And, you know, it, it was certainly shook me. Um, you know, I was going with my manager to the, to the lunch and it was, you know, it, it we recovered as best we could, but I remember then speaking to the head of the department about the, you know, what had happened because it was something that needed to be discussed, and and he and he told me he told me, uh, you know, we knew when we hired you that we were taking a risk and blah blah blah, you you know, this kind of thing could happen. But he spoke to me from the standpoint of what they had done for me. He, had he did not even consider what I was doing for them. And I looked down the hall and I saw really nice people, none of whom had the experience, qualifications, charm, <laughs> uh, uh, education that I thought that I brought to the table. And I said, so he thinks I'm the risk? I can be a lot of things, but I have never been a risk. And I was shaken to the core. It hurt me. Um, it caused me to question myself for years. It was a very clear example of how so many people 
see the world only through the lens right. of their right. whiteness. Their whiteness their or maleness. their maleness. When you were an Aspen Fellow in 2018, I'd love for you to share that a little bit with with Um, this audience and talk about um, feeling unseen. Yeah, yeah. And and why this this idea of scarcity. Some people may not be familiar with what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, there are a couple of different ways that you know we kind of tend to to think about it. And one thing that I think that um, um, uh, you know we do uh, as a people, not just women and not just women of color, but we, we only see, you know, it's like, well, we have one of them, you know, sort of like when you, you know, and you've been in this scenario too, when you're, when you're talking through, um, uh, let's just say the composition of a board and there'll be a, a, con- a conversation about, well, we need a woman, you know, and it's sort of like, okay, well, let's just find the woman that we, we need. We never even get to, we need someone who has HR experience or someone who has finance experience. We never even think to look up at women when we are looking for skill sets sometimes. And if we can get a woman of and color, we can, we can, we can check two boxes. Ching, ching, you know. And right. so it's, it's, it's that mindset. And what that is so prevalent, and it's, it, it happens so sort of naturally that we do that among ourselves. And so we may think that... Um, um, that there's only one path to reaching success in an organization and pick the organization, um, as opposed to thinking, well, you know, maybe it's not just that there is this one role for this woman of color. Maybe there are roles, and we need to be sure that we advocate for ourselves and others for, for the whole scope of those roles. Let's right. not think of it just in terms of that narrow space um, that has been assigned. And that's hard for us. I mean, you ha- there has to be intentionality um, around that uh, until we achieve a place where there's just sort of equity in our, in our approach to what are the skill sets and who are the, who are the people who are best suited to, to have both the um, opportunity to be successful, but also to, to showcase to the rest of the, the, those assembled what they can do. Right. Yeah. Right. Because so often when there are only one or two of someone, whether mm-hmm. it's one or two women or one right. or two people of color, mm-hmm. and everybody says, well, we're doing, we're doing great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those people feel like I've got the prized seat right. and I'm going to hold and I'm on gonna to be it. the only one that ever gets I'm it only going to I'm going to hold on to it and it reinforces this narrative around um you know that they're not there's there's nobody out there right. you know there's nobody out there who can who can fulfill this role we just don't have the candidates. We don't have the candidates. We've, and that was what happened when, mm-hmm. when I first started with what was then AmSouth. You know, uh, the president of Tuskegee was in a room when they were saying, well, you know, we just can't find anybody. And he's like, here is someone. <laughs> now, that was just, that was, that was luck. It was, it's, you know, it was luck that he... No, it, I'm going to stop you there. No, it was luck for me that he. Pres- I was prepared for it. There's no question about it. Yeah. But, but I shouldn't. Ha- he shouldn't have had to do that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
it was just it was just my luck at that time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't right, but that was the reality. And what we have to do is is try to work against um, the 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 tide of that sort of uh, of thinking. So I spoke with after the murder of George Floyd. Um, uh, you know, I've had conversations that have been, you know, the candor has been um, really um, surprising in a way. But I think I've been it's it's been it's been so good to be able to have the freedom for for people to speak truthfully, yes. um, to ask hard questions. Uh, Did you have this experience? Because I know that you you, of course, have many, many colleagues and friends who are white. Mm-hmm. Did you have this experience of people all of a sudden well, calling I, you up? Yeah, I, 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 well, I, I did have that some. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I, I was really um, moved by that um, cause, because we were all and are still all hurting. Um, and to have an opportunity to to have truthful conversations about how this how how this feels, um, I think has been good. What has been especially good at, at Alabama Power and really across the Southern System is that's been encouraged. Now there have been times when you would never think that these kinds of conversations would be happening in the halls of of corporations, but we've done videos. I did a video about what it felt like to pull my team together and have one of these really honest, raw, tearful conversations, recognizing that there's some people, especially white men, who are so fearful of saying the wrong thing that they shut down. And we have to invite that. We have to invite them into the conversation, too. But but I was talking to a particular business leader in town who just called me. Um, and he just said, I just want to talk. And, um, you know, we went through, uh, the whole, what I thought he could do to really change the narrative around what his business and business practice could look like. And he then told me about the instance where he had tried to do something to recruit a minority candidate and it didn't work out. And I said, now, how many times has that happened to you? with, you know, a white firm. I said, I'm, I'm guessing lots. It's just that you remember this and it has scarred you in a way that won't allow you to go forward. And what I'm saying to you is you have to do it again and again. You can't just uh, limit your experience to that one time where, where you have sort of fixated on, well, this didn't work and I tried and therefore I never have to do it again. Nobody gets to a successful place in no life way. by stopping when no. they fail the first time. That's right. That's right. And I think that what what we are recognizing is, and, 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 I, and I had a conversation with my then boss at Alabama Power, and I said, you know, one of the things I do every day is I said, you know, I come in every day and I think, I need to knock it out of the park. Not just for me, but for the black women who are in their 20s and 30s, because if I don't, I, I, my experience tells me they might not get the chance that they deserve. Right. 
Now that's not a that's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight. It's not a it's not it's not that anyone is consciously going to hold them back. But my experience, not not just my Alabama power experience, but the body of my life experience tells me that that's a reality. Right. You never have to think about that. No. And he was like, you know, you're right. It's like, because what you do right or wrong will not be visited upon a next generation. My experience tells me that that will happen. It may be changing, but my experience in the world tells me that that is really important. And I don't want to... um, It's important for me to be successful personally because of the drive that I have. But I know it's important in a bigger way because of what could happen downstream. That That is so powerful to think about. So... Like we said, what a what a burden! What a I, I just think that men never have to think about that. Right. White men certainly they they don't have to think about it in that way, and that's not a, a it's that is not a slight. It is mm-hmm. not a complaint. It is the truth of how we have come come up as a as a people. Right. As a so um, we 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 are trying to shift that and. And I think, you know, we have to be intentional as we continue in that work. Right. And I want to kind of get at um, the way you grew up and that solid foundation that you had and you are able to fall back upon when you're feeling challenged. Yeah. And then when you think about other black women who don't have that to draw upon, where does that where does that leave you with your feelings or well, your desire to you know, pave the way or to help? Yeah, others? so I, I think that, again, there has to be some... In, we have to invest um, in the foundation of others. And, um, you know, you can create that solid foundation. It may not be the same, but... But but it's important to see um, in others and invest in others in ways that give them the grounding they need to sort of live out their truth and purpose. Um, you know, um, and so I want to do that. You know, I want to to you know to talk to people. I'm a. I mean, I like to. Talk. I'm enjoying this immensely. I like to talk to people, but I think um, particularly. Women, uh, black women, um, it, it is important to, to 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 have an opportunity to kind of say, well, here's how I did it, which is different than how you may do it, right. but here's here's how how I did it. It's important for us to kind of push one another along um, and to encourage um, uh, development and seizing opportunity, and it doesn't it doesn't have to look one way. The flip side of that is we have to help our male allies to understand it doesn't have to look one way. Nobody, I, this is, Milo's light is Milo's light. You're going to talk to some fabulous women as a part of this uh, series, and each of us come with our own story, power, experience, and light. Um, we encourage that. It, yes. it's, not a, it's not a template. 
you know. Um, One of the things that that I like to do and try to do is, um, you know, I get to talk a lot uh, in meetings and that kind of thing, uh, but but, uh, I always try to pull somebody who's junior up into the front of the room and say, Mm -hmm. okay, now you, you take it. And, you know, we can orchestrate that a lot of different ways. We will, we will be sure that there's an ally in, in, you know, in, the, in one of the chairs around who can ask you a question that you already know the answer to. Right. So you will have that experience and others will see how you can handle it. We will rehearse and prepare so that you feel comfortable. Um, you know, if, you, if there's a hiccup, nobody's going to take you out and, and barbecue you, you know. You'll, this goes back to that idea of that you you mentioned earlier about feeling unseen. Yeah. So this gives others the opportunity, opportunity to, be to be seen. You have to be. You have to create opportunities for for people to be seen. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do Sometimes. you feel like um, your? Now you went through momentum uh, in, in the very early, early class. The very early. Class. Yeah. So since we've been doing this for 18 years, um, yeah. yeah, so that would have been 2003 or 2004. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So when I went through Momentum, I, I will tell you, um, the year that I went through Momentum, uh, I, was, I was in a law firm um, that was not especially uh, supportive of the experience. Yeah. Um, so you had to keep it a little bit on I had the deal. To get, well, it was just that every time it was it was uh, my day to go, there would be some memo that they that I needed to get out or something, you know. So I so I would there were days that I would miss important elements of the day. I was also going through a divorce. Wow. Uh, I remember there was a day, and I think we were making pottery or and drinking <laughs> wine or something, and I'm just you know fiddling with, with your with, commentary group, and I said. I'm getting a divorce, you know, and just boom. Just boom. I'm, like, I'm just getting a divorce. And I remember those women rallying around me and because there were days when I didn't know, you know, which way I was going to turn. I had these two young daughters. I was getting a divorce. It was hard. My firm was not particularly supportive of this, this important component of what I needed to restore myself. And they didn't know how prestigious it was because it was very they early didn't, in the They program. didn't. They had no idea. Um, and I remember one of my uh, uh, mentees, I guess, yeah. saying, you need another job. But more than that, there were women in that class who would call me on a Saturday and say, you need to get out and we're going to go for a walk because you just need, you need some, you need some support. You need some lift. And I think, um, we all have to do that for other women. Even when we don't, you know, I didn't ask for that, but they could see I needed it. And we have to be open to receiving that kind of support and help um, when it is when it is offered, yes. Sometimes that's harder for us than other times, but um, I think we just have to push through and say, you know, I'm telling you what I see, and this is what you need to to do. Right. And I'm coming to pick you up. So that happened in momentum, but that it happened also in- happens in a in a um, investment. 
kind of way. You were, for years, the president of Alabama Powers Foundation. For four wonderful years. And um, can you speak a little bit about the investments made through the foundation at Alabama Power in specifically with a demographic or, or with those underinvested groups and how your work helped to improve equity in the community? You know, I'm so glad that you used the word investment because, because that's how um, we approached what we did um, at the foundation and what, what the Alabama Power, Power Foundation does, which is it really isn't just the transfer of money to an organization. It is a statement around the value proposition of affecting change in community. And I know you do it because yeah. you invest in momentum. Yes. So we yes. appreciate Alabama's powers, uh, investment in women. Well, sure. I, thank you. Um, we appreciate what momentum does for women and women leaders and what those leaders do in the circles where they have influence. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important to make those kinds of investments. Um, the Alabama Power Foundation was built to serve Alabama. And you do that by creating opportunities for elevation and change in people who then go out and create change in community. Um, and thought leadership, and I think that's part of what momentum does uh, so well. It's really not about um, uh, so much about providing a platform for women to 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 be seen within their companies, but it really is um, it is that those leaders are steeped in in their community and what they can do to really sort of showcase their talents and ask the hard questions and affect and move um, move their communities and their their workplaces to to higher better purpose yes yes that's what we're about yeah, yeah. thank you Myla. thank you so much thank you the momentum matters podcast thanks our trailblazer sponsor protective life for additional sponsors, please check our website, MomentumLeaders.org backslash sponsors. Signing off, this is Karen Taradas from Social U.